This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I think every single uh, trade discussion that we have, um, we're at the part uh, and where we're at as a franchise where you necessarily they don't, can't necessarily say no to anything right off the right off the hop. Having said that, there are some some um, players and some uh, draft pick capital that we have that are extremely valuable that we that would be hard pressed to, to move on from. Uh, you know, not just the not just the uh, the one player you mentioned, but a, a whole group of prospects or younger players off our roster. So. Um, you know, I, I think in regards to, to rentals, I, I, I can't see that happening. But with regards to other options, I, I don't think um, you say no off the hop to anything. But those are very important pieces to us uh, for now and in the future. So if I can put on my Kyle Dubas decoder ring here. Hang on, just let me slide this on. What he's trying to say is we don't want to let go of our first-round pick. We don't want to let go of Matthew Nyes. We don't want to let go of Topi Nimala. But other than that, we're open for business. Welcome back to the program. Jeremy Rutherford coming up in hour two. We'll talk about Vlad Tarasenko, EJ Erratic from the NHL Network as well. Meantime, uh, more on the Kyle Dubas presser and the Maple Leafs, who we'll see in action this weekend against the Columbus Blue Jackets with Kristen Shilton from ESPN. Kristen, how are you? Good to talk to you again. Yeah, absolutely. I'm doing well, Jeff. How are you? Uh, I'm good. So did you have your Dubas decoder ring on? Were you trying to read in between the, the, the lines of what Kyle Dubas was trying to trying to tell us? Because a, a lot of it, I mean, you expect the general manager to, to speak the way that we heard Dubas yesterday. Try to, you know, protect your assets, you know, make sure that you value them high and team will have to pry them uh, out of your out of your cold, dying hands in order to get them. How did you feel uh, Dubas presented himself yesterday? Well, I don't think it's any surprise that the Leafs really love, you know, the prospects that they have in their system. They've been very, I think, intentional in how they've drafted and how they have developed these players. They're important to, you know, the future of the organization, the direction that they see, you know, the next however many years going. They intend to have these players go through these longer development processes so that they can step into the NHL and be successful as we've seen uh, with some of these players. Joseph mm-hmm. Wall is a great example uh, right now, but you know, yep. he, I thought Dubas talking so much about the future and yet everyone talks about Dubas's future. And is he even going to, you know, if this lift, if things don't go well for the Leafs, uh, you know, into this, this playoff, you know, what does that mean for Dubas? Is he going to be around with the team uh, when these players, Um, make their way to the NHL ranks. So there was a lot of, I think his emphasis on the future just showed almost his confidence in where the Leafs are at, what they can do, his position with the team, that where his mindset is. It really doesn't seem like there's any panic in Kyle Dubas. And I think that was maybe one of my bigger takeaways was that I just don't think that he's as worried as maybe everyone else is about, A, what the Leafs can do, in this postseason as is and be, you know, his own murkier future isn't clouding any, any of his judgments. Yeah, I, I, I want to get to Dubas here with you and, and his future immediate and long-term in a couple of seconds, Kristen, but, um, you know, the, uh, the idea of the arms race is an interesting one. And, uh, we saw the New York Rangers uh, with a salvo. We saw the New York Islanders with a salvo. Those are two metropolitan teams that have brought in some huge pieces here. I think we're waiting for Tampa to make their move because they're Tampa and they will. 
Uh, I think we're waiting for the Boston Bruins. You know, I don't know that it's going to be, you know, another Hampus Lindholm, you know, blockbuster, but, you know, safe to say they've, they're, and probably are, they have been and probably are in on all the big names that we all hear. Do you think there's an element uh, of Dubas that looks at this trade deadline and says, you know, we're really good. We can hang with Boston and Tampa right now. But the minute they call in reinforcements, we need to answer, specifically Tampa, because we all know that is the team that Toronto is going to face off against in the first round. Elliot and I were talking about this before he came on, you know, the idea of, you know, Julian Brisebois calling Steve Eisman to try to bring in Tyler Bertuzzi. Uh, and mm-hmm. the thought of having a team with Perry Maroon and Bertuzzi is a nasty one if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs. Do you think that there's... Do you think that there is a feeling that whatever Tampa or Boston does, that Toronto needs to respond to it? There's definitely an element of that for me. I, I think you have to, you know, you've got to know the enemy, so to speak. You've got to know what they're, you know, how they're loading up, how they're equipping themselves for, you know, Toronto's lucky in the sense, I suppose, that A, they know essentially who they're going to play in the first round now before the trade deadline, and B, they have the scars still from, you know, just eight months ago when that series didn't go their way. Now, if we look back at that series, it wasn't Nita Kucherov and Steven Samkos being the Toronto Maple Leafs. It was Nick Paul and Brandon Hagel and Ross Colton and Corey Perry. And so if Tampa goes out, if Breezewell is is bringing in more guys like that, those bottom six or those, you know, guys who could maybe play up in your, you know, in your top nine if they had to, if he's going to load up with more players like that, that's where Toronto has to answer because the top-end talent is there. What's hurt them and what hurt them against Tampa was they didn't have the bottom-end contributions to match. And it might be that there's a splashier move for Boston. They're the best, you know, they're, they've been just so good all regular season, but you don't want to be complacent in that. They want to take a swing. I don't know if Toronto would take as big of a swing on a forward as potentially Boston might, but that's not really what they need. Essentially, they need somebody who can come in and match sort of pound for pound what Tampa can potentially bring if it goes, if the series were to go like it did last season. And if Breezeball, who loves to say it's crickets on the trade market and then goes out and makes like these ridiculous moves (laughs) that, that end up elevating the lightning, You've got it. He's tricky, yeah. that guy. He he knows how to talk. So I think if you're the Leafs, you do want to watch what your opponents are doing, but Toronto's got to be the best version of itself. And right now, to do that, I would think you've got to be targeting kind of a top nine forward. You know, and, and you know the name that springs to mind just hearing you talk about this, and I'm just thinking in my mind here, okay, you don't want to sort of construct your team just to win one round, but... I think we all know what happens in Toronto if they don't win one round. So, you know, when you, when you look at, and I think you bring up an excellent point, that it wasn't the Stamkos's and the Sorelli's and the Kucherov's, you know, that, that beat the Maple Leafs. It was the, uh, how shall we say, character players. I play a character part in this play. It was those guys that did it. You know the name that springs to my mind as I'm, as I'm hearing you talk about this? And I think we've wondered about this player and would he end up with the Toronto Maple Leafs one day somewhere down the road? Uh, and now he happens to share an agent, oh, coincidence, coincidence, with Austin Matthews. <laughs> Should we start thinking about Max Domi? Oh, I'm so glad you said that. Should that name be out there? 
Should that name be out there with Toronto? The thing about Max Domi, and I have had the exact same thought for Toronto, is that he's had a, you know, you look at what he did against Boston last year with Carolina in that series. That was, he played a huge role in game seven there. He has had a pretty good season. He went into Chicago on one year, $1 million deal, prove it kind of situation. Uh, And, you know, obviously loves Toronto, the history here. The fact that he could come in and be a role player and that it could really be an opportunity for him to shine on the biggest stage he may have ever played on in terms of if you you were brought in as like a trade deadline acquisition, you're coming in to help on the postseason push for a team that desperately needs to win. You know, I, I love that. And just the way he plays the game, there's there's the physicality to his to what yeah. he does. There's also the goal scoring. There's he's a smart player. He's a good team guy, good character player. I don't know. I I like it. I've brought him up before as someone that I think the Leafs um, yeah. could look at. And it's it's how do you not love the story too? And and there, that's always a nice element of sure. it. Um, I, I think what the Leafs have maybe lacked as well is just a little bit. I, I think that they play such a good team defense. Now, like there's, there was, I think in the yeah. past, such a need to target a defenseman at the deadline because there wasn't the same strength of team defense that you see this year from the Leafs. That leaves them open to going after more of, uh, I think, the forward side or potentially a defenseman that's more of a puck mover. But overall, I, I think a Max Domi would bring the right elements that Toronto maybe uh, has lacked for and could be sort of your you know, your Nick Paul type, your guy who comes through in game seven. Uh, Although if you're Toronto, you just are hoping that please may we not have to go to another game seven in the first round because it doesn't traditionally (laughs) go too well for them. But I I think like, I I think you're bang on. I think we're looking at a situation where whatever Tampa does, we're going to look at Toronto, whatever Toronto does, we're going to look at Tampa. And you know what? I'll just be blunt. You know what it kind of feels like to me? This may just turn into, because listen, Tampa's already got Corey Perry and Patrick Maroon and Brandon Hagel. Like, do you think this is going to turn into whichever teams get, whichever team ends up with the most amount of pricks is going to win this series? Because the skill might wash. And that's the thing. And that's where you look at what happened, you know, last year. The skill kind of did cancel each other out. And it just came down to one element that the Lightning did better than the Leafs. What is it going to be this year? And it could be that. It could be who is going to create, you know, to quote the the Mike Babcock line that he loved, who's got more jam? You know, who's going to be uh, that team that can come up with, uh, you know, the final sort of knockout punch? And it's, it's killer instinct too, Jeff. You know, that's where... Every year we talk about, is there killer instinct in the Leafs? And they've talked about it too. Why isn't it there? Why are they lacking in it? And that could be the difference maker again. And if it is, how disappointing is that? You you know that's a problem. And if you're not going to address it you know, right now, you've got to do it before the deadline because you can't come out of another series and another loss and say, oh, we just didn't have that um, you finisher mentality or the prick, so to speak, who can kind of, you know, and also maybe there's a guy who has to in that room who can just, who can set a tone on the ice and set a tone in the room too. Of You know, you might not have Jake Muzzin. We don't know that he's been that guy in the past for them who just can speak bluntly and, and get the message across, but who's doing that now for them when the chips are down 
and and a guy who's been there before. Uh, obviously, he's he's won a cup. But if you're not going to have a Jake Muzzin, is there somebody else who can who can be that more grizzly voice for you? And whether that's grizzled as in you know they're later in their career, or whether that's grizzled in that you know hey I, I've had my my fist in a few fights because there's that's just yeah. as good even if you happen to be 30 years old and not you know 42. Um, listen, you've got your thumb on the pulse of this team and you have for a long time. Uh, give us the thought of a concern meter here. Um, Matt Murray and the hospital bracelet. Uh, it rears its head every now and then. And when it does, I think Leafs fans kind of say, oh boy, here we go again. On a scale of 1 to 10, how concerned are you about the hospital bracelet with Matt Murray? I mean... I think the fact that he's in the situation again that he is that um you know Toronto but at the same time Dubis said he's not looking to target goaltender help it it speaks to me maybe that it's there's there's an abundance of caution being taken with Murray and just making sure that whatever it is that he's dealing with whatever he's going through that they're just giving him all the possible time that he needs to get as healthy as possible and that maybe it's a situation where if the Leafs were on the bubble, perhaps it's something that could have been taken care of sooner or something that he could play through more, but it just doesn't have to be that situation because of where Toronto is, because of how good Samsonov is, because of how much they believe in Joe Wall. So I, I think there's there's concern, but I don't know that it's, it, it is as far-reaching as you, uh, you know, you might feel if the Leafs were on the bubble and Murray wasn't playing and he was hurt again. It's, it's difficult though. It's so tough because he's just he's been through so much. You look back at his injury history the last couple of years. It's everything. It's head. It's neck. It's hips. It's now it's his ankle. It's upper body, lower body concussions, sicknesses. It's just there's so much he's been through and he's only 28. And you're already, yeah. you know, it just seems like. Ugh, you know, you gotta. You've just. You, it's so important that the Leafs get good goaltending, as it is for every team down the stretch here. But I don't. I, I wonder how much of it's precautionary, given the history. And then I wonder if the fact that Dubas kind of gave it that, you know, we're a okay stamp of approval. Whether that yeah. holds, whether whether that remains the case past March third, we'll see. But I don't think you need. To, I mean, I would put it at a, a six out of ten, maybe, which is pretty good for. I think goaltender level of concern in Toronto because it's been, I would have said last year you were at about a, an eight out of 10. Okay. I'm going to ask you something. This is really unfair of me and I apologize in advance. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, I'm going to ask you a question and I have about 30 seconds for the answer, knowing full well that this is an answer you can't give in 30 seconds, but I'm really <laughs> irresponsible and sloppy as a host. So here I go. The, uh, the impending Austin Matthews contract extension. We all wonder what this is going to be like. Do you think this is a negotiation or this will just be Austin Matthews saying, this is what I want and that's it. Take it or leave it. How do you see this playing itself out? I, oh, and this is an answer you can't give in 30 seconds. I would say this. I think Austin <laughs> Matthews. No, I think Austin Matthews loves playing in Toronto. I think Toronto loves having Austin Matthews. There is no team that is going to give a superstar as much as 
Toronto can in terms of all the other things uh, around the team in terms of how to make you the best player that you can be. I think that's appealing to a guy who never wants Mm -hmm. to stop improving to have access to that. So I think it it will be a negotiation, but it's a negotiation that starts with this is as low, like this is what I want, but I am willing to adjust. I would say that, but I, I do think he holds many, many, many of the cards here. I would always, listen, I always say I'd love to be, you know, just a fly on the wall for any of these contract negotiations or conversations. That one might be top of the list. That might be top of the list. Judd Moldaver (laughs) and Kyle Dubas, that would be a fascinating one. Uh, You're very generous with your time uh, and you're excellent. Uh, Kristen, thanks as always for stopping by and sharing your expertise. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me, Jeff. I would love to come back anytime. Oh, that door is wide open. Kristen Shelton from ESPN covers the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, amongst other teams around the NHL. Uh, always appreciate her contributions here. Coming up in hour two, we're going to talk to EJ Raddick from the NHL Network here in a couple of moments. Jeremy Rutherford from The Athletic. But coming up next, random player of the day. Back in the Wayback Machine. Late 60s, early 70s. Ooh, that sounds sweet. Keep it here. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Hey, welcome back to the program. Uh, some interesting comments here. Let me pull this up. Some really interesting comments here by Patrick Kane of the Chicago Blackhawks. Read one of them to you. We'll get more of this with uh, EJ Raddick coming up in a couple of moments. It's from uh, Charlie Romiliotis uh, in Chicago. Patrick Kane on Vladimir Tarasenko trade to the Rangers. Quote... It's not like the happiest I've been to hear about a trade. I think the Rangers are a team that you definitely pay attention to and definitely are intrigued by for obvious reasons. Dun, 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 dun. As he comes to the realization that the, um, the reunification of him and Artemi Panarin just went boom with Vladimir Tarasenko deal. Uh, we'll talk to EJ Raddick about that comment and the trade here coming up in a couple of moments. Meanwhile, Maddie Marchese, our producer here for the uh, random player of the day. And I understand that today we are going to talk about a defenseman. Maddie, what do you got? We sure are. It's a defenseman that uh, played for the Summit Series team in 1972. That would be Rod Sealing. Played three games in the Summit Series. I want to say paired with Gila Point uh, in that one. Um, 72 was a huge year for him. I'll get to that in a couple of moments. So Rod Sealing from Elmira, Ontario. If you don't know where that is, that's a little bit north uh, of Waterloo. Left shot defenseman. Uh, was signed by the Maple Leafs in 1962. Uh, played one game with the Maple Leafs and then was traded in an enormous deal. I want to talk about trades here for a couple of seconds with ceiling. So he goes to the New York Rangers in an enormous deal that brings to the Toronto Maple Leafs Andy Bathgate, legend, uh, and Don McKenney. Bathgate, by the way, was the one that shot the puck that caught uh, Jacques Plante in the face, which led to the mask. Uh, he always denied letting that one go high, and then later in life said, 
yeah, I kind of wasted that one high. So sue me. Uh, going back the other way, ceiling, Dick Duff, Bob Nevin, and Arnie Brown. So that one's huge. He then gets claimed by the St. Louis Blues in the expansion draft. And, you know, talking about the Tarasenko deal, the deal between the St. Louis Blues and the New York Rangers, that was the last deal between those two teams. The first deal ever between the New York Rangers and the St. Louis Blues featured our random player of the day, and that is Rod Sealing. So the first deal is Sealing in exchange for Bob Plager, Gord Kanegieser, Tim Ecclestone, and Gord Sabarin. He later, by the way, was traded for Ecclestone again, the Toronto-Washington deal in 1974. Uh, won a Memorial Cup. Played for the Canadian national team in 1964 in the Olympics. You mentioned Summit Series. In the 1964 Olympics, uh, that would have been in Innisbrook. Uh, team Canada lost 3-2 to the Soviet Union in the final game. Uh, he went to a Stanley Cup final in 1972 with the New York Rangers and lost. Uh, was an all-star uh, that season for the Rangers. Uh, as you mentioned, was part of the Summit Series, playing three games with uh, Team Canada. They took like 50 players, <laughs> uh, and and Sealing found his way into three of those games. And, you know, was always considered, and still to this day, Rod Sealing, whenever anyone asks you who the who some of the most underrated defensemen in the history of the NHL were, my default has always been Sergei Zuboff. I don't think we talk enough about how how great Sergei Zuboff was. And maybe as as weird as it is, I don't think we talk about how great Brad Park was as far as being an elite defenseman for a number of years. But he was, Rod Sealing, one of the more underrated defensemen in the history of the NHL. And interestingly, so... He retires in 1979, Maddie, not because he was hurt or not because there weren't any teams that were interested in signing him. He, re- he retired because of one of the other great loves that he had in his life, and that was harness racing. And he became the general manager of the Elmira Raceway. He stepped away from the NHL because of harness racing. And I'll tell you this, we'll, we'll close on this one. And that's Rod Sealing and all the things that I know about Rod Sealing. Um, it, it still stuns me. And I remember growing up, like I'm a kid of the 70s, that growing up, two of the most popular sports in the world were horse racing and boxing. Those were the two. And now boxing is sort of, you know, rises and peaks and valleys and ditto for horse racing. But consistently, those were like the two premium sports uh, all through the 70s, horse racing and boxing. Ceiling ends up as the uh, the GM of the Elmira, Elmira Raceway. Um, so he leaves because of harness racing. That's Rod Ceiling, Matt Marchese. What do you got? Yeah, and that was submitted by Brooks Simpson. So thank you, Brooks. And, you know, you talk about the love for horse racing. He was actually the chair of the Ontario Racing Commission. So, like, it even went further mm. after his time in Elmira. He ended up being, I think it was in 2007, I want to say, or somewhere around there, that he was named uh, the, yeah. the chair of the Ontario Racing Commission. So, the it's it's wild to think that a, a hockey, like, it would never happen now. Like, hey, I'm going to retire prematurely because I'm going to go, you know, run a, a, a I'm going to go run a, a harness racing thing. Like, the, money's there, the yeah. money there now is saying, I'm going to retire Although- and I'm going to be done doing anything. Although, and you might say, yeah, but there was an injury factor in this one as well, and there was. I mean, Dustin Bufflin essentially, there's another defenseman, um, Dustin Bufflin essentially retired to go fishing. 
right? Like we yeah, talked to true. Connor Elliott and I talked to Connor Hellebuck a couple of weeks ago and he still keeps in touch with Buffalo. And we're like, well, like he's like, like for me, like as far as guests go on this show, if you could get Dustin Bufflin on this show, good. First of all, good luck. Guy's not talking, but I'll retire. To me, then. He's like one of the great white whales. Yeah. You, that's why you just put your feet up. Right, like if I ever, I've always said, if I ever can can get a rule change made in the NHL, I might just have to retire because, like, what else am I gonna do? Like, I'm done. I'm finished. Uh, I've actually done something in hockey. I'll put my feet up and I'll go do something else. Maybe I'll go work in harness racing, and keep the uh, the legacy of of Rod Sealing alive. Um, but Hellebuck said, like, yeah, like he's taken his money and he's gone fishing, not as a career. Just he's just gone fishing. So, play, I mean, players have stepped away. For, for various reasons, but going away for, for harness racing is a pretty big one. When you consider how great he was, too. Like, he was great on that Rangers back end for a number of years. Um, really good for Team Canada, 1972, was an all-star, etc. And said, nah, this is not for me. I'm interested in the horses. Rod Sealing, ladies and gentlemen, Rod Sealing. Uh, thank you, Brooks, for submitting that one. For, uh, for your chance to submit and nominate a random player of the day, uh, email us, jmshow at sportsnet.ca. Coming up in a couple of moments, Jeremy Rutherford from The Athletic. More on the uh, the St. Louis Blues moving Vlad Tarasenko to the Rangers. And as Elliot always reminds me, don't leave out Nico Mikola. Uh, and I shouldn't and I won't. Uh, both make their debut tonight as the New York Rangers face off against the Seattle Kraken. Let's talk to EJ Raddick from the NHL Network, my good buddy. And uh, first of all, EJ, good afternoon. Thanks so much for doing this. And have you seen... Oh boy, have you seen the Patrick Kane comments yet? No, I haven't, so fill me in. Okay, so Patrick Kane, who I think most of us have, you know, figured is going to end up with the New York Rangers. So Tarasenko ends up there yesterday, and Patrick Kane today on the Vladimir Tarasenko trade says... It's not like the happiest I've been to hear about a trade. I think the Rangers are a team that you definitely pay attention to and are definitely intrigued by for obvious reasons. Hmm. Asked about his hip injury, says it's overblown. Yeah, I think so. I'm not sure why the story is, to be honest with you, but I feel better than I did last year. It's just one of those things that maybe the story leaks out and it piles up a little bit. Uh, Kane says he expects to make a decision the next 10 days or so about his future. Quote, obviously you want to try to do right by the franchise and the organization here has been amazing to me and given me so much. So you definitely want what's best for both sides. Uh, I'm going to put on my Patrick Kane decoder ring here. EJ, you let me know whether I'm on base or off base. He's pretty pissed off that it was Tarasenko and not him going to the Rangers yesterday. Yeah, I think he wasn't. Doesn't sound like he was happy about it. Um, I don't think uh, you know. He talked about that injury, which you know uh, has been okay. in the news about you know how healthy he is right now and whether he can get through the next you know a couple of months and certainly uh, two months of playoffs if he get all the yeah. way to the end. So I guess that's a factor. I mean, maybe Chris Drury and and the New York Rangers people just felt like Tarasenko made more sense for them for different reasons and so in the end and they were also able to get Mikola in the deal and maybe the price for yep. Patrick Kane was just more than they wanted to pay it might have been one of their uh one of those kids that they've uh, that they've drafted uh, so highly in the last couple of years right so until you mm. speak to everybody involved and get 
you know, maybe get out the truth serum and find out exactly how it all went down. It's hard to say, but I would imagine it would be disappointing for Patrick if indeed, and it sounds like he's interested in leaving. Um, yeah. Then, yeah, it would be a disappointing day for him because the Rangers have a really good team. He's got some unique chemistry that he already has displayed with uh, Artemi Panarin, and it seemed like it would be a fit. But in the end, it doesn't happen, and now we'll mm-hmm. see what happens with Patrick over the next couple of weeks, and if indeed he does leave or just goes to free agency at the, uh, you know, at the end of the season and, and becomes an unrestricted free agent. And I think if he's really irritated, Jeff, about it, and let's say that he, he holds the team personally to blame, which he doesn't have to say publicly, but if he feels that way, then maybe he just says, listen, I'm not yeah. going anywhere, and I'll just wait until free agency. So we'll see how it plays out. You know what? That's a really good point, and I've said this for a while. I'm not so sure that either Kane or Taves wants to go anywhere. And you know, we'll we'll see what happens with with Taves here. And, uh, and there's a there's a health issue, certainly. But uh, I I'm I'm of the firm belief. You let me know whether I'm on base or off base here. I, I'm of the firm belief that in their minds, as they're going through their careers, I think that in the back of their minds, they both thought they were going to retire with Chicago Blackhawks, that that was going to be the fairy tale ending for them. And as it became perhaps obvious with, you know, Kyle Davidson taking over that that wasn't going to be the case. I don't know about stiffen your spine or get you a little prickly, but just the thoughts about not retiring as Blackhawks. I don't think that sits well with either of them, EJ agree or disagree. Yeah, I think it's it's been a tough circumstance. I do agree. I think it's it's not something they envisioned probably a couple of years back, right? Uh, that you know this is a yeah. team that won three Stanley Cups in what was it five or six seasons, and you know it's been a while since that's been the case now. And and you know yeah. other teams that were in a similar spot, like Boston, has been able to for the most part maintain a real competitive team there. They haven't won as often as Chicago in this last. 15 years, but they've been very competitive almost in every year. L.A. kind of fell off, but mm-hmm. has kind of been able to rebuild and is a much more competitive team now. Uh, Chicago tried to get into a rebuild, and it just has gone woefully wrong, and now they're in a, a kind of reconstruction. It's more of a demolition, right, with the things they did last year. So, yeah. you know, and then also the health issues for Jonathan Tays. I mean, he missed time. It was kind of still a mysterious thing as to what actually went on with Jonathan, but he's come back, and I think he could be someone that could really help a team looking for a second or third center right now down the stretch. But I would think you're right. I mean, I think this was not the scenario they envisioned. They probably both would have loved to continue to play in Chicago and play to the end of their careers and have very competitive teams and continue to play in front of really excited crowds there in Chicago. But it's kind of played out differently, and I think if they're going to stay there, they are going to go through a, you know, a couple more years of a painful rebuild, depending upon how things go. There's no guarantee that a young general manager is going to make all the right moves either, and that's going to be something you have to consider. So, you know, it sounds like to me Patrick Kane, who I think is the guy that has a little bit more uh, play on the market, so to speak, because he's, I think, closest to what he was earlier in his career, uh, certainly more than Jonathan Chase yep. is at this stage. So, uh, you know, I, 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 like I said, I think if, if, if Patrick really had New York in mind, and, you know, you're not going to say these things publicly, but if privately he had that in mind and was hoping that the team would work to make that happen, and it didn't, Unless he has another place that he's interested in going, I don't know really as someone who's won three Stanley Cups why he'd want to 
uproot, go there for for a run uh, with a team he's not yeah. so sure of, and then maybe hit the market again. So that's kind of the way I would see it. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, your thoughts on what we saw yesterday? I mean, we saw the Bo Horvat deal the week previous. Uh, this week was Tarasenko week. Uh, so the Metro, Metropolitan Division get, you know, two superstars here, one in Horvat on the island and the other one at uh, MSG, MSG, and we'll, we'll watch him tonight, in Vlad Tarasenko. What did you make of the deal? I mean, Sammy Blay, I know the knee injury was an issue, never really worked out. Last time we saw him in a Ranger uniform, he was taking a good, healthy run at Milan Lucic. Um, he's back in St. Louis. Tarasenko is up on the top line with Zibanejad and Artemi Panarin. What did you make of the deal when you first heard about it yesterday? Well, I think it really works well for the Rangers for a number of reasons. I mean, they're hoping that Tarasenko is going to have chemistry with Panarin, and they may. They're both uh, you know, fellow countrymen, and they have played together and know each other from from. Uh, you know, elite uh, international competition. So they're hoping that that's the case. Yep. Gives them another option in their in their top nine. Uh, gives Gerard Gallant another option there. He could do more things with the power play if he wants to move Tarasenko into that unit, which was really good last year. It's been a little bit stale this year. Probably part of that is that Chris Kreider isn't scoring, you know, 26 power play goals or whatever the number was last year and over 50 <laughs> goals. So, you know, that's probably the biggest part of that you know, fall off. But, you know, they also get Mikola, who's a big, yeah. long, lanky bottom, you know, end defenseman there. So, I mean, they're really set on defense. They had just recently signed Ben Harper uh, as, you know, he's another big, lanky kid, left shot guy. So now they have some depth there. Um, I like their group of defensemen as it is. I like the goaltender a lot, as everybody does. And, uh, you know, I'll be curious to see what the mix is up front. I think, you know, Filipino's emergence of late, uh, Jeff, has been something to keep an eye on. I think yeah. he's their second center there. I think Vinny Trocek is really going to be the third center there as it plays out. But with Tarasenko in the mix, they've got more options. And, and we'll just see if he finds his way there, if he finds chemistry there, because that's something that's elusive. We don't know. Sometimes guys come in and it's a fit and they, and they take off. Sometimes they don't. And the good news for the Rangers also is that these guys are both not under contract past this season, so if they have any interest in moving forward with either guy, they could think about that at the time because they're going to have other contracts to worry about with a tight cap like all the teams have. You know, I'm glad you mentioned Mikola there because when you look at that Rangers back end now and you mentioned Ben Harper and he got a two-year deal uh, out of the Rangers and he's a, you know, he's a, a snarly, you know, ornery, large, hostile man. Um, and we all know how devastating, you know, Jacob Truba is when he catches someone most recently, you know, Dylan Dubé and Nazem Kadri, but there have been others this season. Andreas Athanasiu comes to mind right away. Like all of a the sudden there between, you know, how Mikola can 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 smash guys ditto for Harper and you have you know this you know this this you know this guy paints Picassos as far as body checks goes in Jacob Truba you know that's a back end when you throw Adam Fox and Keandre Miller in there like that's a real interesting blend of skill and finesse and skating and if I can borrow a Brian Burke term at the same time truculence on the back end like I'll tell you one of the it just reminds me of a thing that, that Tom Watt used to talk about. So Tom Watt, you know, always when he was asked about his blue line, Tom Watt would say, oh, I got to make sure I get this right for you, EJ. He says, I want my blue line to be 
virile, agile, hostile dancing bears. That's what I want my blue line to be. Virile, <laughs> agile, hostile dancing bears. And I kind of look at the Rangers blue line and I go, they got some virile, agile, hostile dancing bears back there, EJ. Yeah, you know, it's when you think about it too, Jeff, I mean, we, you know, we're talking about the Blues making the trade with the Rangers, right, and Karasenko coming over. Well, think mm-hmm. about that Blues team that won the Stanley Cup, right? They had a lot – their defense was a lot of long, lanky, hard-to-deal-with guys, right? When you yep. think of yep. Easter and Petrangelo and Edmondson and Pareko. Sure. And the Rangers now have, you know, again, they, they – Andre Miller is lanky, long, athletic. Uh, we talked about Mikola. You mentioned Harper. Uh, you know, Truba's a nasty guy to play against, obviously physical. And, you know, and Lindgren is a grinder. And then you have the, the great puck mover and offensive-minded wizard in, in Adam Fox. So, you know, so I like their team from the get-go this year coming into the season. I knew there would be a little more adversity because it's just, you know, everything went well for them last year. This year everybody's kind of ready for them. And you knew that... Kreider probably wasn't going to score 52 again, that maybe Shesterkin wouldn't be up around sure. 940 this deep into the season as he was last year. So there would be more adversity. But, you know, these moves, it gives them flexibility. They're in for a run now with Tarasenko and Mikola. They'll decide what to do with those guys at the end of the year. I just think they're going to be a tough out, especially if Shesterkin is on his game. The Rangers, they have a yeah. lot. They can match up in different ways because they have a pretty deep top nine now. Um, and that's allowed for now Barkley Goodrow to move maybe down the lineup where he's maybe more uh, effective as a third and fourth line player. So, you know, the Rangers are going to be a tough out. I, I just think it's fascinating with, with a lot of these teams. It's so tight right now, and I'll be curious to see, Jeff, what the Devils do right now because the Islanders made their play for Horvath. Mm. The Rangers made the yep. big play for Tarasenko. Will the Devils, as many people feel, will they get in on Timo Meyer and – Especially now with Jack Hughes out week to week, and hoping it'll be he'll be back sooner than later. But if there's a real interest there, are they going to make a move sooner than later to try to get Timo Meyer into New Jersey? So uh, his value is certainly going to be is going to be up, and people that you know there's going to be teams that are going to be really interested in acquiring him because he's a terrific player. Just all of the superstars into the Metropolitan, right? So Timo Meyer goes in, Tarasenko's already <laughs> gone in, Horvat's gone. Just all the stars into the Metropolitan Division. Uh, why not? Why not? Um, I got time for like, why, why not? Um, okay, so maybe you just gave me your answer, and that was the, the New Jersey Devils. But yesterday on the show, the QOD was, you know, in advance of trade deadline, who's the most interesting team to you? For me, it's the Buffalo Sabres. You know, I'm, I think we're, you know, in, intrigued by Tage Thompson and Rasmus Dahlin and etc. and Uka Pekalukin and, and and what Kevin Adams has been able to pull off there. Um, they're intriguing to me. Like they have a legit shot at a playoff spot. They only have to battle teams. They don't have to battle math. And the Islanders have to battle math and it doesn't look good. For me, the most interesting team is the Buffalo Sabres. Around the NHL, 32 teams. Who's the most intriguing team for EJ Raddick? Wow, that's a, that's a good one. I mean, I talked to I talked to Kevin Adams yesterday, and I asked him that question, by the way, about the deadline. And you know, the GMs don't give you too much of what they're planning, but like you know, he's of the mind that like we're trying to plan for the long term here. So I don't expect Buffalo to try to give up anything yeah. of significance to get anybody. I think for them, it's free if you can find guys who are an experienced piece 
and a quality person that fits in with what you're trying to build in Buffalo, then that would make sense. So we'll see if that kind of player is out there for Kevin Adams. But, you know, in terms of intriguing, I mean, like I think the Devils are there for sure. I, I, I guess I would say the Devils because, like, they've had such a really good year. They have room to make a move. There's been a lot of talk about Timo Meyer. So I think that's the one. I'd be interested to see if they do it. And Carolina, they have such a definitive need, Jeff. They need a second center, in my view. Will they go in and try to get a Ryan O'Reilly? Will yeah. they try to get a Jonathan Taves? Or will they try to get in on the team of Meyer sweepstakes and move some pieces around? So I think Carolina and New Jersey, especially being so close in the standings, are two teams to really watch. Yeah. And the Carolina Hurricanes have Max Pacioretty on LTIR opening up $7 million of cap space. Yep. So that is certainly intriguing. Uh, listen, EJ, great stuff as always. Really appreciate it when you come on the program. Always full value. Thanks so much for, for sharing your insight with us today. Really appreciate it, pal. Thank you, Jeff. Anytime, my friend. There he is, the great EJ Raddick from NHL Network. And more on that interesting Patrick Kane quote and if you haven't heard it let me read it to you again because it is a juicy one here we go patrick kane quotes this is patrick kane from this morning on the vladimir tarasenko trade to the new york rangers put on your pat kane decoder ring here tell me what you think he's saying quote it's not like the happiest i've been to hear about a trade in brackets, I'm pissed off it wasn't me. I think the Rangers are a team that you definitely pay attention to and definitely are intrigued by for obvious reasons. Brackets, I was really hoping to be a Ranger by trade deadline. I got to call my agent Pat now and try to figure out a plan B. This season's not going the way I thought it was going to go. Patrick Kane's quotes. Um, all right, we're going to take a break. Going to come back with uh, Jeremy Rutherford from The Athletic. He covers the St. Louis Blues. And, you know, the great dismantling has begun. Uh, that team that won the Stanley Cup, uh, Vlad Tarasenko goes, Zico Mikola goes. We wonder about Ryan O'Reilly. We wonder about Nola Chari. We wonder about Ivan Barbashev. Should we wonder about any other players uh, on that St. Louis Blues roster as this thing starts to turn over from the Tarasenkos and the O'Reillys to the Thomases and the Kairos. Jeremy Rutherford on the Blues next from The Athletic. The Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Back in a moment. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. So it was the trade that rocked the NHL world yesterday, a trade that was just under two years in the making since Vladimir Tarasenko asked the St. Louis Blues to trade him, comma, please, period. You know, there were dances with teams like the New York Islanders. Obviously didn't happen. The Rangers end up getting him. He'll be in the lineup tonight as the Rangers face off against the Seattle Kraken. Yes, you will see him on the line with Mika Zibanejad and Artemi Panarin. Uh, someone who's been all over the story from day one, from the initial request, is Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic. He covers the St. Louis Blues, and he joins me now. Jeremy, how are you today? Thanks so much for doing this. Oh, it's great to be with you again, Jeff. 
uh, great to be with you again as well. And listen, uh, Vlad Tarasenko, boy, there's uh, there's so many different directions you can talk about with Tarasenko. There was the success of the Stanley Cup. There was the, uh, first of all, how they picked him off. And the spot that they did in that draft was uh, was remarkable. Some might have said it was a gamble. Oh, he's not coming. He came and he made a uh, uh, an immediate and significant impact. Um, when the trade finally went through, considering how you've been on this trade, going back to the initial trade re- request about you know two years ago, what went through your mind? Like, did you once you processed it and got the details and all that? When you, you when you looked back at the Tarasenko history in St. Louis, what what came to your mind right away? What burns into your memory here? Yeah, a couple things, and you kind of touched on it. Uh, there was uh, some feeling in St. Louis, even when the Blues drafted him, when they pulled that off, they traded uh, with Ottawa to get the number sixteen overall yep. pick in two thousand ten. Uh, they traded uh, David Rundblad, the defenseman. And uh, they get that pick, and they used they used it to take Tarasenko. And, you know, as soon as some NHL fans hear you've drafted a Russian, the first thought is, are they going to come over? And Tarasenko's first year in the NHL was yep. that uh, lockout-shortened season. And, and so I vividly recall the impression, you know, you ask about the impression of fans wondering if he's going to come. And all of a sudden he shows up in St. Louis in January, and he's skating out at the practice facility, and he's ready when the lockout ends to join the team. And then what does he do? Everybody talking about he's going to become one of the uh, great goal scorers in Blues history. He scores two in his first game, I believe on his first two shots in the NHL with the Blues. And the rest is history. As he leaves, he's number five all-time in, in Blues scoring. So many memories, uh, but none that uh, top the Stanley Cup run, with which uh, he had a great performance. Yeah. That was the uh, that was the, the grand one for everybody, obviously. You know, one of the things about Tarasenko that – and I mean, it's it's common now in the world of how analytics has helped the games and, you know, pre-shot movement and, you know, where you release the puck from. I mean, he was, people that followed him closely, and you're one of them, you know, found out quickly that this guy, you know, unlocked one of the riddles quickly in the NHL, and that is where to shoot the puck from. Like, there was, you know, pretty much his entire career, he will not release the puck unless he's in that home plate area in front of the net. It's like remarkable. But the minute he's in that home run plate area, uh, home plate area, bam, that thing is off his stick. And I'll be honest with you. And Kucherov is kind of the same way. There are times where I, I watch how sudden he releases the puck. And I say to myself, and again, like I see this about Kucherov, did he even roll his wrists? Like, how many times, Jimmy, have you watched him release the puck and you say, did that thing just, like, jump off of his blakes? I didn't see his wrists move at all. It's amazing. Yeah, of course, he had a great goal at Madison Square Garden. That's probably the best of his NHL career, I believe, where he pulled off that uh, Kucherov. Uh, but the thing that uh, sticks out the most is Doug Armstrong always called him one-shot offense. And the Blues had that with uh, Brett Hall, obviously, that big slap shot for years and years. Uh, but they went a long period without a goal scorer, and then they draft Tarasenko and they bring him in, and it was weird. You'd be losing a, a game two to nothing, and to be able to jump back in it because Tarasenko got two shots off and suddenly it's two to two, that was different for Blues fans to experience. And unlike Brett Hull, Vladimir Tarasenko didn't have the one-timer. He didn't have the slap shot. For those in St. Louis or people that have watched him closely, in yeah. fact, sometimes when he gets the puck, he might dust it off a little more than you'd like, but that wrist shot is just so deadly. And you're right, Jeff. Uh, he's got that patented move where he kind of 
always gets that shot off around home plate is he's coming down the right wall, cuts into the middle, uses that thick frame, and somehow gets around some of the best defensemen in the league. I've seen it against Roman Yossi, and uh, he curls and and gets Mm -hmm. that shot off and and beats the goalie. So uh, he's been terrific in that regard. So now the question begins. Well, there's a couple of questions. One, when this final teardown is done, what is this team going to look like? And, you know, now that they, the Blues don't have the luxury, and it is a luxury, and you mentioned, you know, that, you know, one-shot offense that Doug Armstrong talks about, you know, one of the greatest luxuries any team can have is not having to grind for every goal. The Islanders know all about this, and they go out and get Bo Horvat. When you have to grind for every goal, it takes so much energy out of your team. But when you have someone that can just, as you point out, in in two flicks of the wrist score two goals, it energizes a team and takes a lot of the pressure off the bench. Like, just come down the side and bam, it goes in and it feels like, wow, we just got a goal and we didn't have to work for it. So now that that luxury is gone, before I get to the teardown, now that that luxury is gone, what do the St. Louis Blues do here? Well, I think it would have been nice to see Vladimir Tarasenko continue to score at that rate and continue to be a member uh, of the Blues. But obviously, time goes on and rosters evolve, and it mm-hmm. was time for Tarasenko to move on. Uh, but I, I think the if you, we take a step back, they're in a bit of a transition period. And so they have a young player in Jordan Cairo who can be that type of player, leads the Blues in goals now. He just needs to develop and get to that point where the coaches trust him, especially defensively. And I think he's going through that right now. But you've got some good young players in Thomas and Cairo who have great chemistry. So that could be the next wave of that type of player uh, for the St. Louis Blues. Perhaps a few years down the road, you have a Jimmy Snuggerroot, great shot, University of Minnesota, a first-round draft pick last night for the Blues. So I think that uh, they want to get back to that point. But I think just like any team dealing with that, trying to find that guy, you're going to have some lulls uh, in time where you don't necessarily have that guy. And, and uh, again, the Blues are hoping that it's it's Cairo. How was Sammy Blay thought about in, in St. Louis? Like, it didn't really work with the Rangers. I know the knee injury was a huge part of that, but how was he thought about in St. Louis? I think uh, fairly well. Of course, he was one of the members of the uh, Stanley Cup team in 2019. It's funny, yep. yesterday we were in the locker room, Jeff, and, and somebody said, well, you lose another member of the uh, Stanley Cup team to Ryan O'Reilly. They were referring to uh, Vladimir Tarasenko being traded. And then you think, wait a minute, there's one of those 2019 guys coming back in the deal. <laughs> and Sammy Blake kind of quick yeah. to forget there. But, uh, but you know, fans remember him. He had a goal in that, uh, in that Stanley Cup uh, final against Boston. And, you know, he's a physical guy, so... I don't think anybody in St. Louis is expecting him to come in and score. In fact, he didn't have a goal with the Rangers in, in this time there. Uh, but he comes in here, and he's a step slower after that ACL tear, and uh, I think his confidence is a little bit gone. Uh, but he just had a conditioning stint uh, in the American Hockey League, scored four goals in five games. And so, you know, he's an unrestricted free agent. The Blues will see what he has the last couple months and decide if they want to bring him back or not. Yeah, well, you know, watching that game earlier this week, the uh, the Rangers-Calgary game, and you watch them go after Milan Lucic, you can, you know, we were, Elliot and I were talking about it the next day. It's like, it, it looks like he's, like, quite almost literally fighting for another contract. Like, he wants to show that he's healthy, and we all know that he's not scared of anybody out there, but it seemed like, you know, Sammy Blay is, is, is playing like he's trying to earn his next contract right now, and I'm guessing, like, from here to the end of the season... 
that's what it's going to be like for Sammy Blay. This is going to be Sammy Blay saying, hey, Doug, I'm back and I deserve a new contract. The knee injury is in my rearview mirror. So, you know, one of the questions becomes now, um, who's next? And we do wonder about Ryan O'Reilly. I wonder about him both on the trade market or signing a short-term deal with the St. Louis Blues. We wonder about Nola Chari. And maybe wonder about Vegas with Noel Achari. We wonder about Ivan Barbashev. I mean, you've heard all these names. You've written about these names. Yeah. Does your spidey sense uh, have an indication of what, if not when, we might see some movement with these players? Yeah, a couple things. You know, I think that it was uh, pretty interesting that Doug Armstrong made the move yesterday with Tarasenko about three weeks out from the trade deadline. He mentioned a couple reasons why he did that, including uh, what could be a shrinking market. Like we've already seen Patrick Kane's comment yeah. today that it's kind of disappointing to see uh, the, the New York option not be there for Patrick Kane uh, with Tarasenko going there. And I think Doug Armstrong saw that, felt that, and knew he'd probably act uh, sooner than later. Another comment that he made yesterday, Jeff, was uh, the potential of injury. Look, uh, Tarasenko and O'Reilly both injured in the same game against Minnesota December 31st. Tarasenko missed about three weeks. O'Reilly could make his re- return uh, against uh, Arizona tomorrow night. Um, so these guys miss time. And, and what if O'Reilly gets injured? So I think that we could see something sooner than later if you listen to what Doug Armstrong said yesterday. And then in terms of what's going to happen with O'Reilly, I sat down with him a couple weeks ago. We did an interview, and he said that uh, he'd like to be back in St. Louis. Of course, you'd expect to hear that from a captain who won a Stanley Cup here. Uh, He, in fact, though, said there's been preliminary talks. Uh, But, Jeff, he was kind of mum yesterday, and and also Doug Armstrong said they were going to keep those talks private. So if I had to guess at this point, I would think if the Blues are moving Tarasenko, they're kind of going into – whatever you want to call it, a soft retool, which probably could include O'Reilly. It just wouldn't shock me. It it wouldn't shock me if they decided uh, to bring him back. So we'll have to see how this plays out. You know, when you look at, you know, as you mentioned, this team is is transitioning from one group to another, and, you know, some of the names are obvious. Um, you mentioned Jordan Cairo and, and Robert Thomas. Some of the other names that I wonder about, and I think probably throw Jake Neighbors into that conversation too. You know, a couple of other names that I that I wonder about and how much – is expected from them. I know that Jordan Bennington is going to be the goaltender for this team. He's got like four four more years left on his contract, and he's not probably going anywhere. But I I wonder at what point we hear the name Joel Hofer more, and I am also curious what the plan is. And I know injuries have just dogged this guy, and I feel awful. I think we want to see him have a good, healthy stretch. Um, What's the future for Scott Perunovich with uh, with the St. Louis Blues, you think? Yeah, first I touch on uh, Hofer. So the backup right now, Thomas Grice, uh, has been okay. You know, is there a market for him at the at the deadline? I'm not quite sure. Um, you know, do the Blues wave him and bring Hofer up? Uh, the one thing is, uh, you know, do you let Hofer continue to have success with Springfield in the American Hockey League? He's been great this year. That's why they signed him to the two-year one-way deal. So he's got a chance to be the backup next year. So do you keep him in his environment or do you move Grice somewhere and and bring Hofer up. I think that's what we'll, we'll be watching here in, in the next couple of weeks leading up to the deadline. And then with uh, Perinovich, he's been cleared for contact. Uh, for people who don't know, a couple shoulder injuries, uh, including this most recent one in the preseason. He's been out all year, uh, but I've talked to him a lot lately. He's expected to make his uh, comeback soon, and this is a guy that you, you really root for. He's an undersized guy, and whenever there's injuries, people say that's the reason. Um, could be, but uh, he's fought his way back a, a third time here, 
and uh, could be back in the lineup soon. And he was great last year in, in the playoffs, running that yeah. power play uh, when, when Tori Krug was out. So there is some definite upside there with Brnovich. I like him. I I I just flat out like Prunovich. I I'm I'm hoping that he you know he gets healthy and stays healthy. Um, real good player here. Um, okay, so so last one for you. When we look at the when we look at the trade radar, there are always teams that other squads are comfortable dealing with, and the St. Louis Blues um, are no different than other ones. Um, is there a team out there that like I wonder about Nolachari in Vegas? For example, is there a team that you would think, based on Doug Armstrong's history, he's most at ease dealing with, or is the field wide open for all of his guys? Yeah, anytime there's a, a trade involving Doug Armstrong, the first team I look at is Detroit because he and Steve Eiserman must have each other on speed dial. Seems to happen yeah. uh, a lot, but obviously that's yeah. uh, not a destination destination for Achari. Vegas is the one that I've heard the most. Uh, you know, they're they're on on the cusp and playing better lately, and you know could probably use a guy uh, like Achari. And let me vouch for him. You know, I didn't watch Noel Chari play much uh, prior to him coming to St. Louis. You saw him in Boston. You saw him, you know, he had 20 goals in, in Florida. But this guy, every, I mean, the effort's there every single day. I did a, a survey among Blues fans here a couple weeks ago, and he was actually getting uh, some votes for MVP for the Blues this year. So he's been terrific, and I just can't uh, imagine plugging a guy like him onto your uh, third or fourth line if you're a Stanley Cup contender. To me, that would be uh, – you know, you hate to oversell it and say like a final piece, but he really is that type of guy that could solidify something for a, a team like Vegas. Yeah. Uh, I'm with you. Sometimes it's the uh, the tweaks, not the trades that you make, if you know what I'm, if you catch my drift at uh, yeah. deadline that end up putting your team over the top. I 100% agree. Uh, listen, I know it's a really busy time for you. Always appreciate you parking time for me on this program. Uh, you have your thumb on the pulse, man. Uh, Jeremy Rutherford from The Athletic covering the St. Louis Blues. Uh, tonight, Vlad Tarasenko draws in on the top line with the Rangers. They face off against the Seattle Kraken. Jeremy, thanks as always, pal. You be well. Thanks, Jeff. Jeremy Rutherford from The Athletic, uh, the big deal yesterday, Vladimir Tarasenko, and it does seem, a couple of things here, it seems as if teams are starting to think, uh-oh, I don't want to have to bubble wrap guys, nerf the world uh, right before a trade deadline, might want to get the deals done sooner, trade deadline is March the 3rd. If the trend continues, it'll be a Maytag repairman type trade deadline for yours truly and Elliot Friedman. I might want to start practicing, I don't know, juggling, uh, maybe spinning plates, uh, sleight of hand, card tricks, uh, perhaps, because it could be a very slow day based on the noise that is out there uh, and teams wanting to get their deals done sooner then later. Okay, thanks to Jeremy Rutherford and EJ Raddick for stopping by this uh, this hour. With that, normally, uh, Maddie, we park more time for the weekend review, but we had a lot to get to with Jeremy and EJ, but I want to bring you on and have a look back at the week that was as we get everyone set up for uh, for tonight, which is four games, and then tomorrow a pair of games on Hockey Night in Canada. What stood out to you from this week other than the very popular, the very, very popular random player of the day? Of course. Um the, the trade yesterday, as we know, Tarasenko and Mikola going to the Rangers, as you just discussed, um, that was that was obviously the big news of the week, and you touched on it uh, a bunch there with Jeremy. So we don't need to spend too much time on it, but I guess the question that now remains is, 
are the Rangers done yet? Like they are, they're going to be tied up against the cap, but there's always, it seems like there's always a way to make moves. Uh, do you think that they add something else? Here's my answer to that. Vladimir Tarasenko tonight is playing on the first line on right wing. Who's playing right wing on the second line? Mm, who is playing on the second line there? Vitaly Kratsov. Oh, Kratsov, yeah. Why do you think Vitaly Kratsov <laughs> is playing second line right wing tonight for the New York Rangers? Hmm, my spidey senses are tingling. Yeah, that's a showcase. First of all, there will be there will be a lot of eyes on the Rangers tonight. And I would imagine, like, look, it, we all know that it hasn't worked out between Vitaly Kratsov, who was a you know former first round draft pick. Uh, you know, didn't want to go to the American Hockey League. You know, and we all know the acrimony there between him and the former coach. Uh, and they ended up going to uh, to Russia, came back. And, like, look, just to be blunt, it hasn't worked out. And it hasn't been a good fit. Does one side share blame? What uh, Does one side have blame? Do both sides share blame? Probably. But at the end of the day, this is not a fit for the Rangers and this player. Probably in everyone's best interest that they move it along. And I think by putting Vitaly Kratsov on the Vincent Trocek line with Chris Kreider tonight, and probably for the foreseeable future, foreseeable future until they can do a deal, uh, that's probably the reason, Maddie, that I say I don't think that Chris Drury is done. I think that he'll probably still look to bring in, again, around this time you always hear about depth at various positions, um, but I would expect them to maybe try to turn their attention now to find a new home for Vitaly Kratsov. How's that? Yeah, that works. Uh, and that's scary that they have another piece to move. Um, okay, uh, going uh, across the river, the New Jersey Devils, Jack Hughes will miss uh, some time. He's week to week with an injury. And, I mean, it didn't didn't hurt yeah. them. It didn't hurt them last night. But, um, I mean... The Devils, like EJ Raddick mentioned, they're a very interesting team. And he said, wonder if the injury to Hughes, maybe they they look at adding a, another score. And, and top of mind there was Timo Meyer. Yeah, I think we're all looking at Timo Meyer, And I think safe to say that, you know, those discussions have been had internally. It's kind of an obvious one. Um, I think the, the New Jersey Devils are looking at their lineup and they're saying, like, look, we're a really, really good team. Uh, do we have enough heavy players for the playoffs? Because, you know, you look down the middle, and again, like, I understand that the Montreal Canadiens in the 70s won all of their Stanley Cups with very small centers. I get it. Um, but it is sort of an anomaly to have centers, whether it's Nico Heischer or Jack Hughes, that aren't 6'4", um, and having playoff success. So I, th I think internally they look at their team and say, we probably need some more size here. Um, the New Jersey Devils are always going to put the premium on skill. Timo Meyer checks both of those boxes. You know, the New Jersey Devils with this ownership group and, you know, all the sports teams that this ownership group uh, represents and owns, you know, always want to be known as, just to be blunt, the smartest team in the league. 
like New Jersey's always tried to pride themselves on and Carolina's the same way. You know, we make the decision, we make really smart decisions and it's not just, we don't just make moves based on emotion or gut feel. We make it based on, uh, on, on facts and analytics and we can back up all of our moves. Like that's always how New Jersey has behaved. And I think Timo Meyer, you know, measures up both things. I think Timo Meyer has enough in his game to satisfy the side of Tom Fitzgerald that looks at a player and says, we need to play heavier hockey in the playoffs. And also, whether you're Matt Kane or Tyler Dello who handle the analytics for New Jersey, you look at Timo Meyer and you say, you know what, we're happy here too. It kind of seems like an obvious marriage between the two. I think the question will become considering this is probably going to be a standard package for a, uh, a star player like Timo Meyer, it's going to be expensive. Like it's, it's going to take, you know, it's going to take big names, either prospects or young players to get Timo Meyer away from the San Jose Sharks as Mike Greer tries to retool this thing. Um, that one, that one kind of seems obvious, you know, interesting from yesterday's game. And I don't know why I'm always interested in things like this. So the Devils beat the Seattle Kraken last night, three to one. Intriguing about this one, all four goal scorers are or were defensemen. Paired by Dougie Hamilton, one by John Marino, Adam Larson with the lone goal for the Seattle Kraken. That is apropos of about nothing other than it tickles my brain when I see it. Defenseman, the only one scoring in that one last night. What else you got yeah, for us, Matty? Quick, we're going to wrap up here in a sec. I, I thought you might like that, and it just leads into our next one, and that is Dougie Hamilton, who scored twice last night, as you mentioned, sets a New Jersey yeah. Devils franchise record. Um, fewest games to 50 points. He reached it in 51. Previous record held by Scott Stevens, 54 games. He did that twice. And Dougie Hamilton is the first defenseman in uh, for the Devils since Brian Rafalski in 06-07 to reach the 50-point plateau. I don't wow. think that Dougie Hamilton gets enough talk about being one of the elite um, scoring defensemen in the NHL. Unless you're in the analytics community who absolutely adore and have always adored Dougie Hamilton. I've said this before on the show, but if you, you haven't heard it, one of the reasons I love Dougie Hamilton is his mom and dad. Because they named him Dougie. Not Doug. Dougie. And they named his brother Freddie. Not Fred. Freddie. Maddie Marchese, you know you come from a sports family when your boys are named Dougie and Freddie. Not Doug and Fred, Dougie and Freddie. And anyone who's watched slash listened to this program for enough length of time has heard me say this as well about Dougie Hamilton. With all apologies to Steven Stamkos and Alex Ovechkin, etc. So maybe I'll just focus on the defenseman. I don't know that I've seen in this era of the NHL, and apologies to P.K. Subban who qualifies too, I don't know that I've seen a defenseman who can one-time a puck better. Than Dougie Hamilton. That guy is so smooth, one-timing pucks. It is a thing of beauty. Pair of goals last night for Dougie Hamilton. Now we're curious to see the Islanders have made their move, the Rangers have made their move, and the attention turned to Tom Fitzgerald and the New Jersey Devils. And on that, we'll thank a few people. 
for stopping by. Jeremy Rutherford, thank you so much for stopping by from The Athletic, EJ Raddick. Always love talking to EJ from the NHL Network. Thanks to the great Kristen Shilton from ESPN talking about the Maple Leafs and Elliot, you know, reaction to the Blues Rangers deal as well. Elliot, of course, from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada. Tomorrow on Hockey Night, a pair of games, the Blue Jackets and Maple Leafs early, the Blackhawks with a sour Pat Kane. Does not like Tarasenko going to the Rangers. That's my spot, damn it. Blackhawks face off against the Winnipeg Jets. Jen, thank you. Lance, thank you. Maddie, thank you. Merrick, show back on Monday. Have a great weekend.